0: There's a great story about A.J. Musty I've always loved. A.J. Musty was a visionary peace activist and organizer in the 20th century, sometimes called the American Gandhi. He was a Calvinist pastor who took the measure of his convictions and decided that following Jesus means becoming a pacifist, working for peace in dynamic, creative, courageous ways. The story goes like this. Musty was protesting the Vietnam War at a vigil in front of the White House, and like many of those sorts of events, especially in those days this was before public opinion had widely turned against the war, the vigil was a rather small, unimpressive, lame affair. A few protesters, a few reporters, that sort of thing. So there's Musty standing there. I picture him holding a flickering candle in a cold drizzle of rain. And a reporter approaches him, pen and notebook in hand, and he says, So, I understand you're against the war, but do you really think standing out here is going to make any difference? I mean, do you really think it's going to change what the United States government does? And Musty turns to him, poised and strong, a twinkle in his eye, and says, listen, I'm not here to change what the United States government does. I'm here to make sure that what the United States government does doesn't change me. Now, I don't think for a minute that A.J. Musty didn't want to change what the U.S. government was doing in Vietnam. Of course he did, but his point was clear. The work of peacemaking has an external aspect. It has to do with changing things in the world outside you, but it also has an internal aspect. It has to do with the world inside you, with your heart and your spirit and your way of life. It has to do with who you are. It's possible, I suppose, to be a violent person and work for peace, but Musty, like Gandhi and Dorothy Day and so many others, was convinced that a person's inner life and outer work were so deeply connected as to be really one thing. So much so that the government's actions—I mean, this is the United States, where the government is by the people, right? The government acts in our name, so the government's actions have an effect on us, even when they're taking place halfway around the world. What the government does shapes and potentially changes who we are. And Musty worried that if he didn't do something, if he didn't stand up for what was just and kind and wise, even if he's the only one attending a vigil at the White House on a cold and rainy night, it's well worth it. Because if he did nothing, then the government's actions may well change him. He'd be complicit. He'd be contributing... To the problem, unless he stood up with dignity and clarity and conviction, not violently, but peacefully. In other words, embodying the very peace he was calling for. A.J. Musty believed all this precisely because of his rigorous, heartfelt reading of the Bible. He believed all this because that's what he understood Jesus to be saying. I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. This is part three of our six-part series on understanding Jesus, and in this episode, we turn to the work and play of peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus famously said, for they will be called children of God. And that sounds nice. Three cheers for making peace. But as it turns out, peacemaking is the heart and soul of Jesus' mission, the same mission he calls his followers to carry out. We can see how this is so in the three moves we've been tracking so far in this series. So, let's recap. In part one, we tackled Jesus' famous question to Peter Who do you say that I am? And we saw how Peter, and likely the other disciples too, thought of Jesus as the Messiah. And they thought of the Messiah as a glorious military conqueror who would deliver the Jewish people from Roman imperial bondage. But Jesus had another kind of deliverance in mind a nonviolent movement of generosity justice, and neighborly love. I can hear A.J. Musty saying, good, yes, now keep reading, what happens next? And so in part two of this series, we kept reading. We saw how the disciples don't understand Jesus, and in fact are deeply worried and insecure, and fall back into an argument about who among them is the greatest. Now, Jesus is calling them to greatness, he explains, but not in the conventional sense of power and prestige, of being first of all. Rather, on the contrary, he's calling them to true greatness, which he says is being not first of all, but last of all and servant of all, even and especially a servant of those on the edges of society, such as the little child that he takes up into his arms. It's as if Jesus says, God lifts up the lowest and the least, everyone left outside the boundaries that we draw. So go and do likewise. Make it your signature move. Reach out to those who are left out. If you welcome one such child, you welcome me. And if you welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. For Musty, this radical hospitality meant standing with the victims, including the combatants, of an unjust and unwise war, and demanding that that war come to an end. Yes, I can hear Musty saying, yes, and keep going, read on, what happens next? Well, what happens next, the third move, culminates and completes the overall picture. For a third time, the disciples just don't get it. Here's Jesus teaching them about seeking humility, not superiority. He's got a child on his lap. He's teaching them about being a servant of all with humility and kindness. And how do they respond? One of them rushes in with a dramatic report. Somebody is casting out demons in Jesus' name, someone outside their circle. And we tried to stop him, the disciples say, because he was not following us. Not following us. It's yet another case of Christian hubris. The disciples equate following Jesus with following us. If they're not with us, they must be against us. It's a mentality of competition, rivalry, war. Then Jesus will have none of it. He counters with a strikingly open, inclusive vision. As Mark has made clear for the first half of the Gospel, Jesus is a healer and liberator confronting the world's death-dealing forces, and that larger battle is what matters most. Don't stop the one who isn't following you, Jesus says. Even people who aren't walking with us, if they're doing life-giving work, they're our allies in the long run. And then Jesus opens the circle even wider. He says, not only those who bear the name of Christ, as he puts it, but also those who don't, in other words, non-Christians, who assist the life-giving work, even in a basic way, like giving a cup of water, they too, Jesus says, will by no means lose the reward. It's a pragmatic, results-oriented approach to the larger battle. Jesus emphasizes fruitful, Action, not membership or process or doing things the way we do them. In the face of the disciples' if-they're-not-with-us-they're-against-us mentality, Jesus counters, whoever is not against us is for us. The disciples have a mindset of rivalry and war. Jesus has a mindset of coalition building and peace. The goal, Jesus says, both as a means and as an end, is to be at peace with one another. That's how he puts it, to be at peace with one another. This phrase culminates the teaching session. It's the antidote, the counter, and the contrast, both to the disciples arguing on the road over who is the greatest, and their assumption of superiority over the so-called outsiders, those who are not following us. Against both of these cases of Christian hubris, Jesus calls his disciples instead to be at peace with one another, at peace with so-called insiders and at peace with so-called outsiders. That's the goal to which their humility, their servanthood, and their hospitality should lead. In other words, Jesus wants his disciples to cut the arrogance, yes, but the objective isn't merely an absence of arrogance. The objective is the positive presence of being at peace with one another ultimately modeling that peaceful way of life for all to see, including the child in his arms. If Christians today demonstrate rivalry or arrogance, either against other Christians or against non-Christians, well, that story's as old as the Gospels. And so is Jesus' call, away from such nonsense, his call toward the path of peace, of being at peace with one another. The way A.J. Musty puts it, in probably his most famous remark, is this. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Peacemaking is the goal of Christian life and also the style of Christian life. It's the key to understanding the Messiah, to understanding deliverance and salvation, to understanding what it means to be a disciple. Peacemaking is the key to understanding Jesus. Yes, he's about confronting the world's death-dealing forces, but not with a sword. Rather, with a candle flickering in the wind and rain, rather with conviction and courage, generosity and joy. The world will change. And God knows it needs to. With climate crisis and racism and inequality and polarization and on and on, in the midst of these struggles, our efforts may well seem like a rather small, unimpressive, lame affair. A few protesters, a few reporters, that sort of thing. But the good news of the gospel is that the spirit is at work, sometimes hidden, sometimes plain. A.J. Musty is still coaching us, still provoking us, and his example still inspires. The tide does turn. He was virtually alone that night, but today, virtually everyone agrees with him that the war in Vietnam was unjust and unwise. And in the meantime, as the tides of history ebb and flow and the Spirit's work of redemption transforms the world around us and within us and through us, in the meantime, we can stand poised and strong in who we are, a twinkle in our eyes. Peacemakers, children of God, bridge builders of friendship and coalition. We've got work to do, and we need each other to do it. For the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our neighbors, and for the sake of our children, including the little ones we carry today in our arms. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Strange New World is a SALT project production, written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer Bolton and Gretchen Summers. Music is by Pablo J. Garman and Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you hear, spread the word and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find us. And drop us a line at community at saltproject.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.